Hey folks, you're tuned into The Plunge, and we are coming to you from the second day of the hashtag Trump shutdown, or hashtag Democrat shutdown, whatever you want to call it. And I'm happy to say that just like the Gerard Butler film, Olympus has fallen. We are currently expropriating unoccupied townhouses in Georgetown and opening them to the homeless. ICE's main offices have been stripped for raw materials, and elected officials are fleeing to the hinterlands. Lanyards are being deprogrammed and slowly readjusted to a world where working for the federal government or a contractor is not the only path in life, and the U.S. military has finally picked up and moved to Saudi Arabia full-time. Now that we have achieved full anarcho-communism and hierarchies are being flattened nationwide, we are happy to share audio from our quaintly dystopian past of just two days ago. Before the federal government collapsed, freeing us from its tyrannical yoke, we were in a disturbing world in which we had elected officials who acted like buffoons even as they demanded our respect and fealty. Our very president, Donald J. Trump, was having the lurid details of his elderly sex life revealed by weathered porn star Stormy Daniels. Meanwhile, myriad pundits were simultaneously arguing that questioning the results of Trump's physical was a vicious form of fat shaving. It was also revealed that former White House official and proud legal immigrant Sebastian Gorka has been subject to a Hungarian arrest warrant, which is somehow not the name of a Steven Seagal film. Sanctimonious former senators Cory Booker and Jeff Flake whined loudly about how Trump was a big meanie and had mean things to say while doing very little in active opposition against the executive branch of our former government. Fired FBI chief and terrorist attack faker James Comey had recently been hired to teach a class on ethical leadership at the College of William and Mary. This was, of course, before the government fell. Now, university-level political science programs teach sustainable agriculture, housing, and energy production. Foreshadowing the eventual fall of the government, Trump appointee Carl Higbee resigned in disgrace after speaking a little too frankly about his desire to conscript everyday citizens to shoot all those crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. And last, but certainly not least in size, disgraced ex-governor Chris Christie got in an altercation with Newark airport staff when they refused to let him use his old VIP entrance. Now, of course, Newark Airport, like all airports, is helping lead the redistribution of excess food from American grocery stores to needy populations around the world. So now that we have achieved utopia basically overnight in the absence of the U.S. federal leviathan, it's time to sit back and enjoy a snapshot of the hierarchical chaos that was. For our listeners in D.C., on the other hand, it's looting time. This is The Plunge. Anarchy reigns, ladies and gentlemen. The government is shut down. And you are plunging. I mean, at least as we plunge, myself being Dan Spaventa and my boy, he's in the epicenter of this madness, Sam Wagstaff in Washington. That's right. I'm here with the DC beat. You're listening to the silky smooth sounds of Sam Wagstaff. You can find me on Twitter at... W-A-G-S-T-A-N-K. Follow the show on Twitter at 
plunge underscore podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Spaventacular, S-P-A-V-E-N-T-A-C-U-L-A-R. And Jesus, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud, we're taking over and really just changing the world. What world will be left, Sam? Now that the government is shut down. Um, the beautiful anarcho-socialist world we're all trying to create, I guess. You know, where the government's not up on our shit anymore. We all take care of one another. I think we're in a very important time where I'm surprised that I haven't heard about more direct action now that the government's eye is closed. But this has happened before this government shut down, and I wasn't here when it did. So, Dan, tell me about your memories of the 2013 government shutdown. Well, the last government shutdown, I have to say, um, let's see, it didn't really affect my life at all and was just uh, log-jammed bureaucracy that was painted as uh, maybe a bigger deal than it was. I remember hearing a lot about the effect it had on the parks system, um, including the national parks. I didn't hear much about how it affects shared services. I do know that this time around, with the current government shutdown, supposedly something like 56% of IRS employees aren't going to be able to show up to work, which is pretty insane, especially as we're headed right into tax season now. And the primary gripe on the Democratic end was that they wanted guaranteed DACA provisions. Yes. My read on this is that the Republicans, because the things that are st- are the sticking points that are preventing this from getting through are a clean DACA bill, meaning a DACA bill that doesn't include sharks having fucking laser beams on the U.S. border, you know, increased military spending on the border. They're trying to avoid the compromises that they think they will have to make in order to preserve DACA. Something like TPS, Temporary Protected Status, which Trump ended for people from El Salvador, Haiti, Nicaragua, um, Honduras is going to end soon. That's not even on the table in these negotiations, which I think is kind of weird. But the DACA issue is is looming large. The Republicans are using CHIP, um, the Children's Health Insurance Program, as a bargaining tool because they somehow calculated that they will actually save money by preserving it. Well, their marketing has been fucking insane. It's like, the Democrats won't choose... And I forgot what, like, shitty lib comedian pointed this out, but it is kind of like the Dark Knight, like the Jokers. <laughs> Some people just want to see the world burn, is what you're saying. Well, isn't there a plot at the end where he's like, you have to choose between yeah, the, X the and boats. Y? The boat with the convicts, and then the boat with the civilians. The Nolan Batmans have aged poorly, and... I'm not afraid to say it. Yeah, well, he just looks like a rich billionaire asshole beats up poor people with his spare time and uses his inherited wealth and capital to inflict his worldview on Gotham (laughs) and thinks that he's like their savior. He has a god complex. Either way, yeah, I agree they haven't aged well. Yeah, and like conduct and conduct mass surveillance. Okay, so let's get back to the government shutdown. On Twitter, there were two hashtags that were trending at the same time. One of them was hashtag Trump shutdown. The other was hashtag Democrats shutdown. And this is where I get into my theory about how the Republicans framed this shutdown. Because the people who are saying Trump shut it down are saying that because Trump is incompetent, he couldn't pass the budget, which is kind of dumb because 
Trump isn't in Congress. Congress has to pass the budget. It's not like Congress passed a budget and Trump refused to sign it. Granted, his, he's been strong in representing his coalition, which is the hell coalition. But either way, he's not really, he doesn't really have a hand in this. It's more about the Republicans versus the Democrats in Congress. And the Republicans have made it, if you read the hashtag Democrats shut down people, they all say the same thing. They all say the Democrats sold out ar- the armed forces for illegal immigrants. They all say the exact, because they're saying that the Democrats are holding out for DACA, which is true, and it's a good thing, and they're doing that at the expense of servicemen. But I really think the Republicans always build in a contingency such that even in a situation like this where they lose and they're not going to be able to get the insane border protections and the end to chain immigration and the diversity visa, but they are going to be able to have this political victory where with their base, they see the GOP as defending them from the libs and illegal immigrants. You know, they're on the side of servicemen and stuff. It's pretty heinous. Yeah, it's all just, it's it's just marketing. It seems that there are obviously reasons beyond that uh, to vote against uh, this budget. And also just in this like turbulent time, I, I think that Schumer and Pelosi, perhaps, it behooves their brand to be as combative as possible here and then strike a deal without uh, actually... And they are fighting over relative peanuts. Everyone loves DACA because the tech companies want their cheap labor and liberals can argue that they deserve to be there because they are good students or it wasn't their fault that they were brought over which is i think or yeah, they run into burning buildings oh yeah like that bill crystal tweet that we talked about last episode but in general it feeds into this idea that in order to live here if you weren't born here you have to prove your worth in some way instead of the fact that having these draconian policies in terms of like keeping the u.s border the way it is and creating a world through the United States's impact and as far as hegemony on the rest of the world, and especially on Latin America goes, keeping that in place and creating this kind of flow where people leave countries that have been plundered to come to the country that's doing the plundering. It's a lot harder to contend with that. And it's, it's just frustrating that what's on the table is always kind of peanuts. Well, I think we know one benefit of a government shutdown. Lanyards get to get a little sexy tonight oh yeah baby i bet lanyard tinder is completely lit up with people who are going to be furloughed and are experiencing this rare thing called like freedom free time i guess (laughs) yes sir and why don't we move on to darker matters perhaps you could say stormier (laughs) matters So, we all know, at this point, the president fucked a porn star. This was breaking last night. Michael Wolff, a Fire and Fury author, was on Bill Maher on the season premiere. And apparently he said that Trump is having an affair right now. And he would not reveal who it is. I've never been less shocked. (laughs) Sit back and enjoy the show. Because now that that's out of the bag, these people can't keep a secret. (laughs) No way. Someone who's as much of a media whore as Donald Trump is definitely not going to be able to keep any secrets. Yeah, he loves this tabloid shit. This is what he lives for. So, basically, he, right after 
I believe right after Baron, his son was born, he had sex with a porn star, and his kinks are rather vanilla, but kind of funny. Like, apparently he asked her to spank him with a picture of, well, with a Forbes magazine where a picture of him was on the cover. Yeah, the most heartbreaking part of this was when Stormy Daniels said, I'm going to quote directly from it. She said she went to the bathroom, and when she came out, he was sitting on the bed, and he was like, come here. And I was like, ugh, here we go. (laughs) She also said that she was, like, praying in her head, please don't try to pay me. (laughs) Yes. It's so sad. I feel bad for her. Yeah, and coming up against this uh, Aziz Ansari story, it's interesting how all these stories of sort of consent and, you know, bad sex. I don't want to be patronizing, but I still pained for her when I read this. I I agree. Even if it was consensual, it's... But... She said it was textbook generic. It wasn't like, oh my God, I love you. He wasn't like Fabio or anything. He wasn't trying to have like porn sex. The uh, interviewer said, did he say anything to you during? Stormy said, nothing freaky. Like, oh yeah, that feels good. That's amazing. You know, it was one position. What you would expect from someone his age to do. It wasn't bad. Don't get me wrong. That was my favorite part, was that Trump's okay in bed. How many fucking Cialis pills did he have to wolf down before he could even get, like, his shriveled penis to <laughs> react at all? He, pro- he probably takes them just He probably takes them just to, like, fucking get out of bed in the morning, though, let's be honest. And then the famous quote from the In Touch Weekly bombshell interview with Stormy Daniels. Yup. He bragged about his daughter quite a bit, though. He was very proud of her, which is nice. He told me that I was someone to be reckoned with. Beautiful and smart, just like his daughter. No! (laughs) uh, Oh, man. That was really bad. Uh, And what's crazy about this is that all of this interview was taped in 2011, way before the the monstrous turn of events that gave us president Trump. So it's not as if she was trying to pull out quotes that she thought would be sensational. Now these quotes are sensational now, and it kind of confirms what a lot of people thought about Trump. And I think it's obvious at this point that the sleazy image that we have of him, the image that he projects to the media is maybe dead on like it might be an honest representation of who he is even in private quarters like these yeah he's only a family man in that he'll compare women he's fucking instead of his wife to his daughter and he also doesn't take shit from sharks he's been watching shark week he knows what the sharks are up to and he in the he he uh, interview said the he would never donate to a charity <laughs> Yeah, he said he would never donate to a charity where the money went to, like, helping sharks because he just wants, like, to get rid of all of the sharks in the world. What a freak. So, in other Trump news this week, the Gerther movement <laughs> has emerged. Sam, yeah, baby. please tell the people in the back what the Gerther movement is. Because I believe... So, on the last episode... Oh, I... I... This is problematic, folks, but I believe in the Gerther movement. (laughs) 
let's get out of the way quickly that the Gerther movement, which assumes that Donald Trump's stated weight of 239 pounds and his height of 6'3 are false and that they are meant to make him seem more healthy than he actually is, this movement should not be equated with what it is named after, the fucking Birther movement, which was a racist movement claiming that Barack Obama, because of his name, was not born here, which is fucking horrible and is substantially different from thinking that Trump weighs more than 239 pounds. But either way, I think a lot of people have just been comparing the official weight that came out from Dr. Ronnie Jackson, who apparently actually wrote a medical evaluation of him this time, as opposed to, if you remember last episode, we talked about how he wound, they wrote like a two-line email from him and fucked up his name. Yes. But either way, Sports Illustrated took some heat for posting... I think uh, an article talking about all of the professional athletes who have the same stats as Trump, which obviously doesn't take into account the fact that 239 pounds of muscle, if you're like a football linebacker, looks a lot different than 239 pounds of fat. Having said that, Dan, what's your read on this? Do you think Trump is actually 239 pounds? Give me a fucking break. There's no chance. There's (laughs) 0% chance. They said Colin Kaepernick is an inch or two taller and weighs, like, a pound less. I I just... Compare his height and weight to any athlete. It's (laughs) absolutely absurd to think that, while I do believe he is, like, a tall guy, 239 is insane. I'm nowhere close to that, and, like, that is just an absurd figure. Well, so... I was thinking what a lot of people have been saying is that um, they just shaved like a few pounds off so that he would meet the body mass index of 29.9, which is what he has, which is one pound, one percent lower than if below obesity. Yeah. If he he was one pound heavier, he would be classified as medically obese. So they're saying they're fudged it so we don't have an obese president, which is stupid. We've had fat presidents before. It's fine. Like (laughs) Trump being fat is fine. Who's the one who got caught in the bathtub? Wasn't that? That's that's Taft. He died in the bathtub. And he also had to have a specific bathtub made for him because he was so massive. But either way, a lot of people and, you know, we can let's let's see how we all feel about this. A lot of people have been saying that it's wrong to fat shame Trump. And they've written a lot of think pieces about this. We attached like four of them. Like there's one in Politico. (laughs) There's one in the Daily News. Very uh, NBC had an opinion piece. The Hill had one. It's, it's fucking ridiculous. They're criticizing, like, even they said Joe Scarborough saying, like, if that's what six foot three, 239 pounds looks like, that's a shock to me. This one in the hill seems to imply that that's offensive. Like, that is not the same as, like, Megyn Kelly going out there with the thing she said the other week where, like, you know, it was good for me to be fat shamed because now I'm pretty, like. <laughs> what a fucking, what a psychopath. There is a substantial difference between the sort of bullying that leads people to fucking kill themselves or develop eating disorders than calling out a blatant lie coming from the federal government about the fucking president just so we can think he's like alpha. (laughs) Like, that's the ultimate goal here. It's so he doesn't look like a flaccid, like, you know, baby adult from Wally. Yeah. 
So there are definitely a lot of like liberal or like centrist views on this. Um, there was one in NBC News that said like, what kind of uproar would we be in if this was a conversation about Trump's 2016 election opponent, Hillary Clinton? What kind of uproar were we actually in about the efforts by many to paint her as frail and unhealthy? And like, look, it's definitely different to talk about a woman's weight than a man's weight. Like, come fucking on, number one. Like, that mansplaining shit is stupid. If they White House came out and said Hillary Clinton was like 90 pounds, yeah, we would make these same jokes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> The political one is this quote, yet Democrats spent the Obama years scolding Republicans for being conspiracy theorists, and Democrats did not simply defend their leaders against charges of conspiracy, they painted Republicans as overly prone to wide-eyed conspiracy theories. Many on the left declared that there is something unique to conservatives' personalities that make them believe ridiculous stuff. This, of course, involved selective amnesia, given all the conspiracy theorizing that Democrats had done during the Bush years. Resident conspiracy theories in the U.S. tend to emanate from the party out of power and be aimed at the party in power because the White House is the most visible, unitary, and powerful position in government. The party that controls the White House acts as a lightning rod for the nation's conspiracy accusations. The transition from the Bush administration to the Obama administration, for example, uh, until 2009, conspiracy theorists villainized George Bush, Dick Cheney, Halliburton, Blackwater, and other members of the Republican coalition. Many theories suggested that 9-11 was an inside job, or that the country went to war in Iraq for oil. As soon as Obama won the presidency, those theories became inert. These villains were out of power. So basically this person is saying that's completely partisan, which I just don't think no, is No, definitely not. Conspiracy theories are a bipartisan fucking interest. That article you're reading is Why Girthers Are the Biggest Losers by Joseph E. Yuszynski, which re really argues that, yeah, like conspiracy theories are for losers and that the reason you believe in conspiracy theories is because you have no political power, which is just like a dumbass fucking argument. I, I don't understand why these articles have to be written. Do you think that all of the conspiracy theories about, like, the Clintons and any, I mean, do you think any conspiracy theories that existed about Obama's birth that, I mean, Joe Arpaio fucking brought it up on CNN last week. The Republican, uh, the, the, the party in power don't let go of their conspiracy theories. And yes, conservatives do have more of them. I'm sorry, it's true. I think that a lot of people who comment on media culture, including ourselves, have this kind of selective focus where, like, he only sees, like, the conspiracy theories that make more headlines, and he assumes that, like, like make more headlines, or that he sees more of them, and through his, like, selective viewing of the world when they're in power, as opposed to the opposite. So he decided to write this long-ass article about it. But to call this a conspiracy, it veers even away from the, like, you shouldn't fat shame argument to, like, to suggest that he's lying about this, even though he's on the, like, fucking record lying a million times a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that it's a conspiracy to think they would they would lie about this in this blatant fashion is just absolutely ridiculous. No, but I agree ahead. with you. Well, let's, let's shift gears from the conspiracy theory guy to... This one in the Hill that was written by a conservative commentator, I think. Her name is Jackie Gomez. And the worst part of it was at the end, she starts talking about how she she goes through the usual rigmarole of getting mad at Joe Scarborough and 
Sports Illustrated for making fun of Trump and being a bunch of meanies, the usual conservative snowflake bullshit. But she just goes on to talk about how Congress has done nothing to secure our borders or end high traffic immigration policies like the diversity visa lottery and chain migration that harm American workers. So she's going from an argument that you shouldn't make fun of someone because it's wrong to the argument that we need to really fuck up a lot of people's days here. We need to like make the U.S. a lot less free. We need to seal up our borders more than they're already like sealed and militarized eyes which is just disingenuous bullshit you have called my president fat i will now deport everyone in your neighborhood let's declare war on all this sanctimonious bullshit dan i think on this podcast we need to be clear that if you have these sanctimonious beliefs and all this fucking piety over personal politics like interpersonal politics and civility but you simultaneously support monstrous policies that harm people and are come from a place of bad intent that represent a coalition that is malicious then we don't have to listen to your bullshit and i'm done with that (laughs) yeah i'll put this other one uh, in red state Leftists abandon everything they say <laughs> uh, they stand for by fat shaming what the Trump. Fuck? Yeah, all my arguments about like the concentration of capital in a few hands, the headline is obscene. The idea that we have abandoned everything we believe in, all of our arguments about capital and I don't know, all the things that people talk about in politics are out the window because we made a fun of Trump for being fat is such horseshit. It's such snowflake conservative garbage these guys are such losers i mean think of all the liberal magazines that have featured on their covers photos of feminist women and men in the nude they also just so happened to be well not exactly in shape but they were celebrated their bodies were beautiful because you know those pictures showed their true selves or something President Trump hasn't posed in the nude, thank God. But it's some rich irony that when Trump is near obese, in quotes, it's a bad thing. But when feminists pose in the buff, they're celebrated. What the fuck? Shut the fuck. That's that stupid mansplanation argument from before of the, you know, the, the MRA fucking faction of the Trump fat shame caller outers. Either way... This is just preposterous. I recommend to our listeners to open up the NBC News article uh, for this picture of Trump uh, in a suit on the golfing green and tell me that he is 230 pounds. He looks like a fucking balloon. I had him pegged at over 250, to be honest. I, I think that what I wanted to say earlier about those snowflake conservatives is that they I don't think that they're going to rest until they get like the stabby baby Instagram account, but for Trump, you know, where he poses like nude and he's chubby and cherubic and like body positive. They want that for Trump and they won't rest until they get it. Shout out Stabby Baby from Come Town. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> if we had a Trump Stabby Baby 2 Instagram, like where Trump was just doing nude photo shoots all the time, you know, perhaps in the Oval Office, I think that would be good for the world. Yeah, I do too. I mean, then the emperor would literally have no clothes. God, the Daily News article you pulled, the headline is so fucking stupid. There's no excuse fat shaming Donald Trump. Yep, there's (laughs) plenty of excuses and uh, there's no problem with it. 
Well, holy shit, Kanye West. We have a name for Kim and Kanye's new baby, folks. Real quick, drum roll. And the name is Chicago. The Chai, baby. What do you think about this? Kanye West can do whatever he wants. I think the origin of the word Chicago, it's like a French bastardization of a native word. I looked this up recently. It comes from the Miami, Illinois word Chicago, which means wild onion or wild garlic. <laughs> so he kind of named his kid Garlic. Oh, Jesus. Well, we love him and uh, hope he's doing well after his hospitalization last year. Uh, I was pretty worried about him for a while. He's been he's been laying low. I think it's I think it's better. Just you know, just we love the music. And... Be a dad. <laughs> we don't we don't want you to be out there wiling out. <laughs> getting in trouble and stuff so real quick i just think we have to shout out this horrendous new york times op-ed stunt (sighs) just what a fucking embarrassing bullshit like that's all the new york times has done since the election is print these uh well then like we have to understand middle america stories because that's (laughs) what we missed uh during the election as if the New York Times op-ed section isn't already extremely conservative. It is pretty conservative. I mean, the furthest left they have is Paul Krugman. But uh, I think when it comes down to the New York Times' weird attempts to reach out to middle America, I think they have always been kind of ham-fisted. It has earned them a bit of a reputation amongst other publications that admittedly are kind of jealous and want that extreme profit that the New York Times generates. But... At any rate, I think it's fair to say that they frequently seem to be trying to understand something in the wrong way. And maybe they're trying to understand the wrong thing. I think they're trying to understand why Trump won. But instead of getting to the root of that, they've decided that the problem is that they don't understand people that they have written off as working class or middle America or any other euphemisms they kind of use for like white trash, I guess, like not to put it. To put it more bluntly, to put what the, I don't think that these people are white trash, but I think the New York Times views them that way and they try to phrase it differently. But when I hear about it, I just hear stereotypes of white trash, which I don't think is doing any service to the people who actually live in like flyover states or whoever they're talking about, you know? Indeed. Well, in lighter news, we have a mugshot. Oh! It's, I think this is going to have to be our episode photo. This is Sebastian Gorka. Gorka! And he's a wanted man. Did you see James Adomian's brand new Gorka video? No, I didn't see it. It's it's pretty great. We'll uh, attach a tweet of it in the show notes. It's Sebastian Gorka. The entire time he worked in the White House, according to a BuzzFeed news report, he was the subject of an active arrest warrant issued by the Hungarian police in 2016, and he's wanted in connection with firearm or ammunition abuse. <laughs> what does abuse mean? Does that mean, like... I, I don't know. It could just mean possession or, like, firing. It was issued on September 17th, 2016, and had been in effect his entire time working in the Trump White House. And he, of course, left his position in August 2017. Yeah, that that shit is so hilarious. 
And uh, it's funny because the uh, the Splinter News article that you showed me talking about this also made mention of his appearance in Recoil magazine when they asked him how many guns he owned, and he answered, many and not enough. And he responded to a request for comment from the writer of this article, I believe it was Rafi Schwartz, and Gorka said... He emailed to claim he'd never heard of Splinter. He wrote back saying, Just checked you out and you're as bogus as BuzzFeed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we get a little bit, a little slice of Gorka news every week. It keeps things light, even though he's a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, and this mugshot is just terrific. He looks hideous. Yeah, he's Nazi adjacent. Uh, it's well documented. And you should, again, really pray that Sam finds his car with the license plate Art War. Shout out to Sun Tzu's Art of War, of course. That is literally his Gorka's real license plate. And his car has been seen in Sam's neighborhood. He's an Arlington boy. He's poorly parked all the time. It's a matter of, you know, mere days before I stumble upon him on my commute or in my various travails around here. But moving on from Sebastian Gorka, talking about people who take things too seriously, Cory Booker is a bit much. He's from my hometown of Harrington Park. I sometimes just don't understand where this guy, like, where his politics were formed. He, you know, it's an interesting backstory where his family, like, faced housing discrimination as, like, one of few, like, black families in that town in the 19, like, I think it was late 50s, early 60s. And to me, he is just, you know, he's the kind of person who would be friends with Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. He's robotic. He doesn't stand for anything. He's a cheerleader. He, I, I think I said this before before air, but he's like a, like a history teacher. <laughs> yeah, he definitely gives you the history teacher vibes. And his politics are pretty good, but not really good enough. Uh, he has gotten in trouble for voting the wrong way on a lot of bills about pharmaceutical regulations. Uh, He's been criticized for the amount of money he gets from them as a senator from New Jersey, and pharmaceuticals are big business in New Jersey. But, Dan, you linked to this awesome article from Osita Unwanevu, who is an amazing follow on Twitter and a great writer for Slate. Cory Booker responded very vehemently and angrily to the shithole comment from Donald Trump so I guess with this, it was kind of like, a, like, does he? It's this classic Donald Trump trope where people responding to him get this sanctimonious, have you no decency, sir? This is America and we have values. You have offended me. Like, state your values now. And he was screaming at Kirsten Nielsen, the Secretary of Homeland Security, who, take it from me, is a fucking piece of garbage. And the DHS has been downright evil since... Trump took office. She definitely deserves to be chewed out. But I guess just Cory Booker's kind of hard to take seriously when he's as sanctimonious as he is. But I guess I think a lot of us would argue that his record doesn't quite match up to his rhetoric. I'd be curious. Maybe you could look this up. Did he vote to extend Trump's surveillance powers? Was he a pro vote for that? Could you look that up while I read this passage from the Slate article? Sure. It was a performance considerably more lively than his typical store-brand Obama routine, 
although there was just still enough middle school sprinkled in to suggest he's retained the same speech writers. At one point, Booker quotes Martin Luther King, Eli Wiesel, and Gandhi in quick succession, a grand slam of banality that's no doubt left JFK and Mother Teresa feeling a little jilted wherever they are. The commander-in-chief in an Oval Office meeting referring to people from African countries and Haitians with the most vile and vulgar language. That language festers. When ignorance and bigotry is allied with power, it is a dangerous force in our country. Your silence and your amnesia is complicity. The deepest conviction evinced as he's speaking, stronger than any other he possesses, over the nine plus minutes of his speech is that his glaring and gesticulating and chest beating are deeply moving to someone somewhere reactions to the speech from some democrats on social media suggest he's probably right to think so he's also right of course that trump's comments were wounding to many in immigrant communities the problem to this viewer anyway is that the entirety of the trump era is so unfathomably and obviously monstrous that choosing any one particular incident as an occasion for a Mr. Smithian oration smacks of opportunism. Yep. Every straw feels like the last. It cannot otherwise be because American political order itself is rotten. And the Democratic Party, of course, is part of the decay. It is true, as Booker says, that the immigration rhetoric coming out of the White House sounds like racist social engineering. This suggests he should... Save some of his histrionics for Senator Dick Durbin, who is evidently prepared to grant the administration the largest restrictions to legal immigrants in decades in order to save DACA, rather than threatening a shutdown to press for a clean bill. In truth, there are probably too many jittery Senate Democrats for a re-election to make a shutdown a real possibility. <laughs> yeah, you were wrong, buddy. Anyway, meaning that a victory for racist rhetoric abetted by Democrats who would rather make immigration policy with a man who warns about shithole migrants than call everything to a halt and discuss is all but assured. No, Osita calls him like he sees them. He was wrong about that end part, but, like, ultimately, I definitely felt that way watching this, that it reeks of opportunism when you see someone who's an obvious presidential candidate, one that we on this show could not be less enthusiastic about, kind of just put on this this show for the cameras it's it's fucking you know we know what you're doing yeah he's he i mean you can look up his campaign the people who are contributing to him and his campaigns the most will include that and in the show notes so you can see why we kind of don't really buy all this bullshit from cory booker and i think we should go across the aisle and talk about another oh, did he do that vote or no he did not he voted against the um surveillance so he all the people all the Corey, democrats we'll give you that we'll give you the single payer and we'll give you the, the criminal justice reform i guess those are three things i can say that he's actually good on and for sure his that's shaped by the fact that he's a senator running playing to run for president soon and when you're a senator running for president or if you've been in congress your entire legislative record is public and people can judge you on every fucking, that's why it's really difficult for senators um, in primaries, especially. And we've seen, you know, Hillary Clinton's Senate choices were brought up again and again against her. And 
I think it's just uh, kind of indicative of how politics works these days as far as electoral politics go. But talking about another sanctimonious jackass, we've got Jeff Flake here, who is way worse than Cory Booker, for sure. Uh, This guy's a trash man. So he just goes on this stupid speech. I think it was about the shithole comment again. Um, He quotes Thomas Jefferson, which is wonderful. And he keeps referring to him as... Mr. President repeatedly, which is amazing. It's like what we make fun of. Dan, have you seen this? I haven't. Let's play a little bit of it. 2017 was a year which saw the truth, objective, empirical, evidence-based truth, more battered and abused than at any time in the history of our country, at the hands of the most powerful figure in our government. It was a year which saw the White House enshrine alternative facts into the American lexicon, as justification for what used to be simply called old-fashioned falsehood. I sincerely thank my colleagues for their indulgence today. I'll close by borrowing the words of an early adherent to my faith that I find has special resonance at this moment. His name was John Jocks, and as a young missionary in England, he contemplated the question, what is truth? His search was expressed in poetry and ultimately in a hymn that I grew up with titled, Oh, Say What is Truth. It ends as follows. That's just embarrassing. It really is. Why does this guy keep voting with him? It's 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 so irritating. He votes alongside Trump on 99% of shit. There is literally an Atlantic article that interviewed him that asked him about it. And he's like, oh, well, just because I think Trump is mean doesn't mean I disagree with his, with Republican policies and conservatism. And I'm like, well, fuck off then. <laughs> Get the fuck out. To listen to this guy like bloviate up there for the cameras, you know, basically, I guess to just like create a friendly brand to sell a round of books at some point in the news cycle. For sure. Uh, it's nauseating. The last thing I had to say about Jeff Flake was that he invoked Joseph Stalin and Nikita Khrushchev, which is this amazing example of how he is just like all these other new Cold War kind of reactionaries who want to say that Trump is just like the ghost of fucking Lenin come to like destroy the but, U.S. Uh, politicians being full of stupid contradictions is what they do best right my friend and that's why we'll always diss them so speaking of diss tracks how about fucking james comey the lurch the fucking string bean so you pulled this article on comey (laughs) teaching an ethics course let's give some background on james comey the fucking stretch who is now going to be teaching us about fucking ethics. James Comey, of course, was the head of the FBI who Trump fired because Putin told him to. And under Comey, the FBI did perhaps one, like one of the most heinous things. They basically Chris hansen terrorists. They would seek out people who were considered politically dangerous or already kind of radicalized or people who were susceptible to radicalization and they would remove all obstacles to those people to create a to cause a terrorist attack and then before this poor person had been outfitted with fucking explosives and whatever they needed to go and 
cause some damage, the FBI would then swoop in and prevent the terrorist attack. And basically chalk it, just to boost their numbers, basically. It's the same thing as the cops planting drugs on people in the hood, I guess. So basically, I mean, this is not a guy we can necessarily trust on ethics. I don't think there's anything ethical about creating or manufacturing terrorist attacks to fudge your own numbers. That seems like fraud and it seems dishonest. We'll link to a brilliant Glenn Greenwater article about this. And uh, do you have any final thoughts on James Comey, Dan? Other than I can't wait for his next photo shoot and he is Bay. You follow him on Instagram? I can't bring myself to do it, but I have seen it. They're fucking horrible. <laughs> his posts are so fucking bad. <laughs> There's like a, a one of a stream and it says like, like this stream, a great flow of ri- liberty will triumph or something. It's terrible. Oh my god, it's like an inspirational poster in a dentist's office. Basically. So, I pulled this story because, of course, a guy named Carl Higby, who was appointed by Trump to serve in the federal agency that runs AmeriCorps and other volunteer service programs, resigned from his high-level post after a report emerged quoting his racist and anti-Muslim remarks from 2013. So this guy, Carl Higby, whose name I just thought was so funny when I saw it. That's a racist name. In 2013, Higby said, We're promoting birth control to a black woman because of the incredibly high rate of children born out of wedlock that are undercared for or not cared for at all. In one quote from the segment, Higby said he, he accused black people of a lax of morality Oh, in another segment that dealt with immigration, Higby said, what's so wrong with wanting to put up a fence and saying, hey, everybody with a gun, if you want to go shoot people coming across our border illegally, you can do it for free. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I mean, these, these are exactly the kind of people that like fucking Trump wants in charge of shit. The funniest part to me was that in addition to his own radio show, he also made comments about Muslims and Barack Obama on online talk radio programs with titles like Where's Obama's Birth Certificate and Warrior Talk Radio. (laughs) What a fucking nut job. Higby's tweet said, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry that my words were published. I am sorry that I said them in 2013. Those words do not reflect who I am or what I stand for. I regret saying them. Last night, I informed the White House that I was resigning so as to not distract from POTUS's many successes. Hashtag no excuses. Hey, Higby, go fuck yourself. See, what he's saying there is he's like, I just got found out that I am an insane racist and people care. So I have to step down to distract y'all from the insane shit that Trump and his administration, the people who still have fucking jobs are doing to further my own goals. That's all he's saying. All that happened was that his spot got blown up and he is respectfully falling on his sword for big daddy Trump. Speaking of spots getting blown up, this will be the last story before we enter the pop culture corner. Chris Christie, three days out of office was blocked from his VIP entrance at Newark Airport and sent to Terminal B with the rest of the normal civilian passengers. 
with the fucking plebs. Oh my god, can you imagine? Like three days, they're like, now nah, back of the line, fat boy. Like, well, you know, this is just indicative of the fact that Chris Kit- Christie, even if he is not still governor, he will still be getting in Jersey ass fights all over the goddamn state. He's gonna be at fucking Newark Airport, like, what do you mean I can't park here? The fuck is the matter with you? Yeah, he's just gonna, like, you know, he's gonna get into, like, fender benders. He's gonna, you know, eat salami in the airport in shorts. And it's just, you know, it's a Jersey thing. He's a Jersey guy, and he's not going anywhere. And honestly, now that he's not governor anymore, you think these Port Authority people feel, like, positive towards him after the whole fucking bridge thing? Of course not. I mean, based on how shitty of a duty he is, his everyday life should be pretty unpleasant. Any of these fucking goons who are... I mean, simply for fucking, like, hopping on the Trump train, like... For sure. You know, you should you should be, like, shunned from VIP anything. Yeah, I'm in favor of small businesses or, you know, less powerful business people or really just average civilians at any level being able to fuck up the day of some oppressive ass people did you hear about um in san isidro california right by the border crossing with mexico there was a shell station that was refusing to pump gas for cbp officers no god that's fucking amazing these cbp officers said that they were getting gas filled the pump just cut off early right after they walked into the store. So basically the clerk saw them and was like, fuck y'all, turn the gas off. <laughs> I think it's just it's amazing. Business. Yeah, man. So in the pop culture corner today, we're going to do a quick discussion about the rise of anthology shows. And we'll start specifically under the lens of the sci-fi these sort of Twilight Zone-esque shows that have become very popular, like Black Mirror, and the new Philip K. Dick adaptation on Amazon, Electric Dreams, which I haven't seen, but Sam, you caught the first episode and were not impressed? So boring, Dan. It was so boring. Now, folks, I'm coming to this from the point of view where I love sci-fi, I love horror, I watch... Were you a Twilight Zone kid? Big into the Twilight Zone. I love the Twilight Zone. It definitely was very important to me as a kid, even probably later on in life. And every now and then, I'll still watch one that's, like, really amazing. Oh, absolutely. It's it's incredible. Still, uh, to this day, I could, you know, really feel genuine emotion, uh, you know, fright or whatever, uh, watching them. It's, you know, it's timeless. It's a brilliant piece of what I would call just golden age sci-fi from that late 50s, early 60s period. It's just brilliant, and I watch a lot of sci-fi and horror specifically, mostly movies. I'm not big into sci-fi TV as much, but it's one of my favorite things. And recently I've seen Black Mirror and Electric Jeans pop up, more, more so Black Mirror. I guess Electric Dreams just came out. And I think that they are in the same vein as The Twilight Zone, and I really do like Black Mirror, but it is extremely hit or miss. Have you gotten that impression, Dan? Yeah, I've only... I'm kind of trying to space them out with the new season, but I saw the first one, which I thought was awesome. This crazy Star Trek-themed hostage situation story. 
was really cool. And then the second one was this fucking, oh, you know, what if everyone put a chip in their kid's ear <laughs> so they could track them all the time and then you never could never take it out. And that just didn't quite do it for me. Yeah, definitely this season was the most hit or miss by far. And I think there were a lot of misses this recent season. One thing, I think that the director of Black Mirror is very good about casting diverse people in his shows which is something that is nice and great he cast daniel kalua who that's true went to star and get out no black mirror has had some really brilliant episodes but this most recent season i don't think was as great i know rachie from the previous episode really hated the museum the black museum one which is supposed to be uplifting for black people but i think winds up putting a, a lot of its black characters through like unimaginable mind bending pain. That's been a big theme of this season is like unendure, like enduring eternal torture. Uh, not to put, put too many spoilers in, but I would argue that that has been kind of the, the theme from the beginning though. I mean, even the first episode of the first season, I think the series really starts with like, okay, let's put like just the ultimate shame situation out there yeah. and put like it on the national stage just well complete. have you seen the black like, the black museum episode yet dan no i, I would i would save your judgment till I, I think what the characters go through in that episode is unimaginably worse than what like the prime minister goes through in the first episode where he's like fuck the pig and he's ashamed of it it's way it's pretty sadistic to a degree but i, w- I want to also ask like with electric dreams do you feel that it's trying to capitalize on black mirror and basically do the same thing you know with some like really grade a subject matter because i mean people love philip k dick right he's one of the most popular sci-fi writers of all time right i may have judged it too early definitely philip k dick is a legendary sci-fi writer but i don't know when they started producing electric dreams but it's definitely post black mirror and since netflix got black mirror i wonder if maybe amazon was like we need a response to this we need to move into this market it's also the sort of thing i could see amazon doing they seem to try to take on a little more serious stuff. They also did the Man in the High Castle series, which is supposedly abysmal, but still. <laughs> well, the, there's like a the Duplass brothers have a show on HBO that I haven't seen at all, where it's like a hotel room and it's every episode is a different. I've seen that in, one in the same room. Yeah, you're yeah, right. It, these anthology shows, kind of every network has them. I think that you know, even if you open up the lens to like the American Crime Story, you know, doing this se- and True Detective, like doing this season with one set of characters and then switching them out the next season or Fargo. These kind of series have opened the door to getting like bigger named actors. I mean, didn't uh, the electric dreams series have like uh, Brian Cranston behind it? Oh yeah. It's got a pretty, a lot ex- of big stars. It's got an expensive cast for sure. I want to talk about the HBO version a little bit. Cause that one's also very hit or miss, but it kind of makes me think of how in the original twilight zone, I think there were more hits than misses, but then there were some, there were some delirious kind of Christmas episodes or every Twilight Zone episode that has like a, an odd happy ending sometimes doesn't sit as well. Yeah. Like that, the one in the civil, that's set in the Civil War where there's like the, the ghosts of Confederates. I, I, I'm not remembering it properly, but there are definitely some out there ones that don't land. So it's not unique to the new ones. It's not some millennials create bullshit art argument that I'm trying to make here. So, Sam was in New York last weekend. If you didn't notice, the recording sounded a little different. 
For some reason, Dan also Dan, you sounded like you were in a tin can. <laughs> I know it was so weird. Maybe it was the way we were sitting, I, and my mic was bent in a weird way. Maybe the cable got fucked up. I don't know. Sorry about that, folks. But uh, I still think it was a good episode. Rachie was a lot of fun to have on. She's definitely gonna be back. Why don't we talk about Sam's bizarre Uber pool experience? Now we all have had weird Uber experiences, but this was one that I found particularly strange, and this came. Right before the bombshell story about Travis Kalanick, the the CEO of Uber, a big story came out this week that revealed that he was so sort of out of his element as a CEO and was like crawling around on the floor after he got in trouble and just exhibited very bizarre behavior. That's unsurprising to me. He never struck me as a guy with a very strong constitution or will. Yeah, and there was other elements of it that, like, Ariana Huffington had to, like, go to all these all-hands meetings and try to, like, salvage their reputation, uh, even though they had a, a reputation for sexual harassment and stuff. But regardless, this happened in one particular Uber in New York City. That's right, folks. So I was out late. I was in my element. We were at a bar in Astoria, Queens, my friend's birthday had a great evening called an uber pool not not an uber pool it was a lift pool but it's sort of like q-tips i guess where you call it even if it's a cotton swab you still call it a q-tip if it's not even if it's off-brand which we all know we love the off-brand the c-town brand q-tips anyway i'm in my lift pool and there are two other people in this pool one of them is a white bro dude, probably around the same age as me, maybe a few years older. I think that everyone in this car was the same age, except for the driver who was older. The other person who was in the back seat was uh, was a woman, and I think this guy was trying to flirt with her, and but he was doing it in kind of a bro way, a very neggy way. Specifically, I got into the conversation when he said that where she lived was like dangerous. Now, Dan, he was talking about like 104th and 2nd. That's half. fucking like ridiculous. It's fine. It's <laughs> shut up. It's amazing. I live right there. It's yeah, you're just being a dick. And I turned around and I said to him, "Dude, I'm staying not too far from there. It's not a bad area at all. I like it. It's mostly families and stuff." And this dude fires back with something that surprised me. I guess he said, "Oh, so what? You're gonna listen to this druggie sitting in the front seat?" <laughs> I haven't heard the word druggie in so long. Yeah, maybe he was older that I'm giving him credit for. Maybe he's actually like a 45-year-old man. <laughs> it definitely struck me as a, a retro kind of insult. But I was interested. I was like, what gives you the impression that I'm a druggie? And he's like, listen, you're talking to me with that curly hair. You're wearing a hat. I was wearing like a beanie because it was fucking freezing outside. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was speechless for a second because it was just so funny. He didn't say like anything i don't know he didn't say like you smell like weed or your eyes are diet like nothing that like people recognize as signifiers as someone who does drugs anyway i don't have like fucking abscessed arms or anything i'm pretty fucking normal and like pasty (laughs) anyway i was like what makes you think i'm a druggie and he got like he just went off he's like listen you've definitely smoked weed at least once in your life buddy and i was like is this what you're trying to prove? You're trying to prove that I've like done a drug that I think like millions of people in this country have done. It's like, or the also that you have no shame about like doing. Most Who people don't think cares? it's yeah. I don't think anyone thinks that if you're if you smoke weed that you are like into hard drugs or anything. Maybe Jeff Sessions thinks that or some wild conservatives. But 
Either way, that's not even like on the table. And this lady who he was flirting with starts going in on him. It was amazing. She really had my had my back. She goes, just like, you have never met him before. Even if he has smoked weed before, yeah, it has nothing to do with you. You're judging him for no reason. She was just, she's like, he could be the next Bill Gates, <laughs> indicating me. Go! <laughs> it was, a, I was, well, I was like, not wrong. I was taken aback. I don't know if being Bill Gates would exonerate me or anything. But anyway, I just thought it was so funny. And the dude got out. And he was like, I guess you two are going to have a real intellectual conversation now, huh? I did kind of fuck with him before he got out of the car, though, because whenever I meet bros or toxically masculine people, I like to make them feel weak and sad a little bit. It's a little sadistic thing I have. So at one point, I turned around to look at him, and I made eye contact with him, and his eyes, like, retreated in fear a little bit, like the way a deer does in headlights. I saw him, like, lean backwards a little bit, and so I just kept staring, and I just said, like, Dude, I can tell you're having a rough night. It's going to be okay. And that sent him over the edge. He was fucking screaming at that point. Very emasculating. I realized, so he got out of the car. Number one, he lived maybe like eight blocks away from you. (laughs) So the place he was talking about being hood was maybe like six blocks away from him. Like everyone was getting dropped off in basically the same fucking place, which I thought was funny. I don't know. I, I really think what got him angry was that he was trying to flirt. I think he was heading back at the end of the night and was kind of bummed that he hadn't gotten laid. And this was his last chance to like flirt with this woman and she wasn't really giving him much. And then I kind of blew up his spot and made him look like a dummy and it just made him so fucking angry. He was like beat red and shit. I was like, dude, calm down. It's like four in the morning and you're screaming in an Uber pool about whether or not I've smoked weed in my life. It was so fucking strange. I don't remember the last time I've had a conversation in an Uber pool and I can't even think of a time when I had a combative one. That's just bizarre. But like, I guess things happen at like 4 a.m. Yeah, it's true. Luckily, we were pretty close to the destination before he started trying to like get in my ass about stuff. So I got to just dunk on him a little bit and then he had to like go off in shame and, uh, you know, cry into his pillow or whatever he did when he got home. But it was pretty funny. Let that be a lesson to you folks. When faced with toxic masculinity, uh, fight back, you know, just talk, you know, exert your own dominance and you will win. They're fragile and sad. It's easy to take them apart. But the bigger lesson I would say, I'm going to quote Jesus from the Bodega Boys. Don't talk to me in the Uber pool. I don't even know you. Don't talk to me in the Uber pool. (laughs) That's my purse. I don't know you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that's as good a time as any to conclude the plunge for this week, Sam. Again, follow us on Twitter at plunge underscore podcast. Check out the show and all of our back catalog on iTunes. Uh, on iTunes, be sure to search for it with an exclamation point. Easy way to find it at the end. And we also are on Stitcher and SoundCloud. And like Cory Booker, we're going to quote Gandhi, Eli Wiesel, <laughs> and on. all your favorites. Come on. <laughs> Keep Ellie Wiesel's name at your mouth. <laughs> uh, that's right, folks. Also, I'm going to do a, a write-up about the immigration situation. I've been kind of putting it off because so much shit is developing. But I guess now that the Supreme Court is going to hear the travel ban 
which is a, not a really a great development uh, given the way the Supreme Court has been voting. I think that's one of the most pressing things going on right now is Blitzkrieg launched by the executive branch against immigrants within this country and also in political ways to try to make it so that putting even more defenses on the border is still on the topic is still a very likely fucking policy proposal that we will see come out of our legislature as they try to avert this budget shutdown so i guess enjoy these few days where we don't have the government up in our ass all day yeah and don't be surprised uh, if this isn't the last you hear of carl higby <laughs> with a name like that he had to be racist <laughs> Yeah, I just, fuck Higby. Well, thank you for listening to The Plunge today, and Sam, I'll give you the final word. Well, folks, we're here to, this drops on Sunday night, so let The Plunge carry you with words of wisdom, beautiful insights, and good humor and character through your work week or whatever kind of week you have. If you have that service industry weekend where you've, got a few days off from like Monday to Wednesday before you start up again for the weekend. You can enjoy it while you're relaxing. If not, then, you know, if your office lets you wear headphones, plug us in, give us a listen, share us on the internet and tell your friends. Oh, yeah, and uh, subscribe and rate us on Red Review on iTunes. Cause apparently that's, that's good. Yeah. It helps. Yeah. We're bougie helps now. Get us out there. Yeah, we're so bougie we're, now. We're, we want you to rate us on iTunes. We've moved up. That's correct. Thank you, everyone.